The Crematos Diaries, Part 8 by Paul Conroy. Boom. Every day before dawn, I perform a morning ritual. I shimmy up a rope ladder into a concealed loft space, don a pair of World War II Bakelite headphones, warm up a valve-powered radio and receive encoded news bulletins from the homeland. I make rough notes using a charcoal stick and paper sheets ripped from a Ukrainian tractor lubrication manual and slip unnoticed back into the apartment below. After coffee, I decrypt the message using a two-part cipher before logging onto my iPad and comparing notes on the BBC website. What fresh horror was this? A man called Rishi Sunhat, possible decoding error, has gone full Sahal and seized power by sneaking in through the Downing Street letterbox and declaring war on the bins. I hadn't realised bins had become such a potent political force in my absence, and I'm assuming Guterres will raise a matter with the UN Security Council. Expect a veto from Russia, who are currently denazifying Ukrainian bins, accused of recycling for the Germans in the Great Patriotic War. I take another coffee, fortified with a sniff of rum, before I check on the car. Not for a moment do I imagine someone has nicked it. Out of a pre-invasion population of 300,000, approximately 30 to 60,000 people remain in Herson, and anyone crazy enough to want my old wreck is likely long gone. It's more to check it hasn't fallen victim to any of the dozen of artillery rounds that fell on our neighbourhood overnight. I tried earnestly to do a shell count last night, but to my great shame, I fell asleep. When I awoke to go to the toilet, they were still banging away, and the apartment shook with large compression blasts, setting off the car alarms and activating my laptop. When I awoke in the morning, they were still at it. People often ask me to compare wars, which was the most intense or violent. It's an impossible question. Every conflict is different in myriad ways. Here in Kherson, it's an artillery war. Artillery wars are the most unpredictable and nerve-shredding. In a more traditional conflict, with tanks at one end of a valley and opposing forces at the other, you can reasonably predict where the shells and rockets will land. Not so here in Kherson. The Russians occupied the right bank of the Dnipro River and the Ukrainians the left. However, the Russians operate a system that fails to discriminate between civilian and military targets. The name of their game is terror, and in Russia's eyes, the little estate I live on is as legitimate a target as any Ukrainian tank. The sustained bombardment is bearable, if it's your job and your choice to be here. However, most people in Kherson are not reporters or photojournalists and are simply trying to lead the best lives they can in conditions not of their choosing. Yesterday, Zarina and I returned from an interview and parked on land next to our block. For days we had noticed an elderly gentleman in his 80s sitting on a bench, staring at the sparrows fluttering around his feet. He would sit for hours, never speaking to anyone, lost in a troubled world. Dobra den, we said in greeting while unloading the car. He seemed shocked that we had spoken and told us mournfully, My wife has left, my children are gone. What do I do? Serena spoke softly to him in Ukrainian. I don't know what she said, 
but the sadness briefly left his eyes and a glimpse of his former self flashed across his face. As we turned to leave, he beckoned us back. Do you know anything about our pensions, he asked. We have nothing left and they don't pay us any more. Tears welled in his proud eyes. I can't describe our utter hopelessness as we shook our heads apologetically. We left the old gent alone on the bench. When I looked back, I saw he was talking to the sparrows. My heart wept. <laughs>